uh, I've been doing this a long time. I always say I graduated from law school in 1840. And that whole time I've been representing entrepreneurs and their businesses, including a lot of real estate folks. We're about to get this episode up and running. We're about to get it off, uh, off the ground. So I just want to let you know before we do get the episode started that I'll be one of the speakers at the Best Ever Conference. You're going to want to come to the Best Ever Conference, literally Best ever conference I've ever been to. Uh, Joe Fairless and Ben Lapidus do a phenomenal job. They and their team do a phenomenal job hosting the best ever conference. And they've asked me to be on stage. And because of that, I actually have an offer for you to get your ticket for even a better discount. So it's an extra 25% off of whatever it is today. FYI, this is very important to note is that the best ever conference they are raising their prices every single week. I guess the better way to say is, is the price is 1200 bucks, But right now, it's like half that, but it keeps getting closer and closer to the 1200 bucks. So hurry, hurry and, and hop into uh, besteverconference.com. And then what you'll do is you'll put in hashtag blue spruce. Hashtag blue spruce. That's the hashtag sign. You're not spelling it out. But that way, you can actually get an extra, an additional... 25% off your ticket. And I will see you at the best ever conference right here in Denver. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Today, I am with Mark Roderick, and he is with Flaster and Greenberg. They actually focus on crowdfunding. Today, we're going to really dive into something that not everybody has heard of, and that is Title Three. Always say if you find a real estate guy who's not looking for capital, call nine one one because he's probably not breathing. Um, so I've I've always helped entrepreneurs uh, in their capital raising endeavors. So when I saw the Jobs Act on the horizon back in two thousand eleven two thousand twelve. I said, this is going to be the coolest thing ever because it is going to revolutionize capital formation. So I decided to become the world's expert on the Jobs Act crowdfunding. And uh, ever since then, that's, that's all I've been doing for the last five years. I spend 127% of my time doing one form of crowdfunding or another. Excellent. So let us do this before we get into reg... Uh, the the regulation Title Three. Let's do this. Let's act, actually go in and start with. Let's say we'll start with 506C. We'll just give it a brief intro on what it really does, how you use it, and do a brief on 506B, how you use it, and then we'll talk about Reg A Tier One and Two, and then we'll dive into the Title Three. Does that work for you? That works perfectly. Okay, yeah. so and, C first. Okay, so I should first say that my, my contribution to the world at this stage of my life is my crowdfunding blog. And there's so many resources at that blog, it's incredible. Um, I get writer's cramp when I look at it just retroactively thinking about all the blog posts I've written. But one of the... Um, one of the first items I ever put up there was a so-called crowdfunding cheat sheet that, and I mentioned that because it does kind of what we're about to do here. 
it lists the different kinds of crowdfunding very concisely in a table, you know, what the main features of each type are. So if people wanted to look at that, you don't have to remember what I'm saying here because it's all, it's all in there. So um, anyway. How do you find uh, that then? Before you start, then well, what's the website? My, my blog is at www.crowdfund, spelled the way it sounds, and then attny.com. So crowdfund attorney, but abbreviating the attorney. So it's kind of hard to spell. But anyway, there's tons of stuff there and stuff describing 506B and 506C and broker dealer and investment advisors and everything you could possibly imagine. But okay, so just very briefly, I just want to go one step back, a little back in time before 506C. And that is to mention this Jobs Act, jumps the Jumpstart Our Business Act, uh, signed into law by then President Obama in 2012. And I mention it just because it is, uh, that was the origin of crowdfunding, of legal crowdfunding. And that act has three sections and in laws, when laws are passed by Congress, the sections are called titles. And that's where the expression Title II crowdfunding, Title III crowdfunding, and Title IV crowdfunding come from. So with that background, Rule 506C is also known as Title II crowdfunding because that is the section of the JOBS Act that created it. And um, a 506C offering um, is a, an offering with only a couple rules. And one rule, the main rule, is that only accredited investors are allowed to invest, okay? Um, and you've, given the nature of your show, I'm sure all your listeners know what accredited investors means. So only those folks can invest. And as a result, there's almost no other rules. And I say that because a foundational principle of our securities laws in this country is that rich people, accredited investors, can take care of themselves because they can hire expensive lawyers and accountants and advisors. Um, they don't need help from the government, whereas non-rich people do. So because 506C is limited to accredited investors, the government basically says, hey, you guys can do whatever you want, buyer beware. And there are basically no other rules. The, the law doesn't require the issuer to provide investors with any information whatsoever. You can do a perfectly legal 506C offering with a piece of paper that doesn't have anything written on it. Um, as long as the only people who invest are, are accredited. And so the second rule of 506C, I said there were a couple, is not only do all the investors have to be accredited, but the issuer, the company raising the money, has to verify that they are accredited. Back in the old days, you could take an investor's word for it. I'm accredited. But under 506C, you're not allowed to do that. You have to get some verification. Um, 
either by looking at the investor's tax returns or brokerage statement. That almost never happens because investors don't want to show that to anybody. Instead, you can get a letter from the investor's accountant or lawyer or investment advisor just basically saying, yep, I'm familiar with this, this guy or gal and he or she is accredited. So that's how it works. And you can raise as much money as you want um, with pretty much as many investors as you want. Although if you got up to 2000 investors, you know, then you might have some issues, but nobody does. So you can raise, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. You can raise a billion dollars in a rule 506 C offering um, from a lot of wealthy accredited investors. Um, everyone is allowed to invest, meaning U.S. investors, non-U.S. investors. Everyone is allowed to raise money, meaning U.S. companies and non-U.S. companies. So when I say it is wild, wild west, it, it really is. Um, lots of freedom, flexibility. It's fast. It's relatively inexpensive. That's Rule 506C. Awesome. So with that said, to summarize, there's only a couple rules. And one of those rules is that you have to be accredited to invest in a 506C offering. And the second rule is that the company who's offering it has to verify that you are, in fact, accredited. That is correct. And what about B? Let's talk about Reg D, 506, B as in boy. Okay. Rule 506B is actually um, the old rule 506 before the Jobs Act. So 506B today is the same as old 506 was from the time it was invented back in 1982. And rule 506B is very similar to rule 506C, except in a couple respects. And I should say, Another of the billions of blog, blog posts on my blog is the differences between Rule 506B and 506C, if people want more information. Um, so in 506B, one difference is that you are allowed to allow up to 35 non-accredited investors into the deal. So you can have as many accredited investors as you want, but in addition, you can have up to 35 non-accredited investors. If you do, however, then you have to provide them all kinds of information. So if it's only accredited investors, again, getting back to that fundamental concept in our law, you don't have to give them any information. As soon as you have one, just one non-accredited investor, investing $25, you've got to give them a thick book of information. Again, in some ways it seems counterintuitive, but it is consistent with this fundamental concept in our securities laws. So that's one, uh, one key difference. Another difference is that whereas under Rule 506C, you have to verify that someone who says he's accredited really is accredited, in 506B, you do not. So you can, you can take somebody's word for it. But the most important difference between 506B and 506C 
is in 506C, you are allowed unlimited advertising. You can have a website, you can take out a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal, you can pull a banner behind an airplane down at the Jersey Shore. So when I'm doing panels on this with other lawyers, I sometimes ask the trick question, tell me what kind of advertising can you not do under 506C? And it's a trick question because the answer is none. You can do any kind of advertising. In 506B, you may not. You are not allowed to advertise at all. So that means you can let in people that you know and people they know, but no website uh, that displays the deal, no airplane ad, no radio ad, um, nothing like that. You just brought something up that I've never heard before. Okay. Airplanes? Yes. What are they? <laughs> no. All right. Not my area. <laughs> All right. So the question here is you just said that you can bring in investors that you know and that they know. And I wanted to make sure that I had this clear, um, clearly understood. If I am doing a 506B and unable to generally solicit, and I have a somebody who invests that I know, but, I, but their friend also wants to invest, but I hadn't yet met them before this offering. Can their friend passively invest in that 506B? Yes, 100%. Wow. That is perfectly legal. And if you ask me for the theoretical explanation of why, because you obviously know this area and you use the word advertising and solicitation, so you're not allowed to advertise. And you might think that asking your friends to introduce them to your friends is a form of advertising. And you would probably be right in a plain English sense of, of the term, but the SEC has long recognized that that's just not how the world works. So um, as long as you're being personally introduced to someone, they're not finding you because of that banner being pulled behind that airplane, uh, that's okay. Um, so that's why, you know, back in the old days, before 506C, the world of raising capital was so opaque and inefficient because you would start out, friends and family, you'd call your lawyer or your accountant, hey, do you know anyone who might be interested? Do they know anyone who might be interested? And you'd sort of try to go outward in this expanding circle of private networks um, that was all perfectly legal, terribly inefficient, terribly time-consuming, but very perfectly legal because the SEC realizes that's just how the world works. In comparison to Rule 506C, where now I don't need to depend on my private network. It doesn't matter, you know, where my parents went to school or where I went to school or where I live. So... Um, a person with a great idea in Iowa can have the same access to capital theoretically as a person in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that's the super cool uh, thing about crowdfunding generally and Rule 506C in particular. But, but that's the basic. Now, because some of your listeners are going to start calling in, your phone's going to ring off the hook and say, well, 
what about these online companies that do 506B offerings? Aren't, aren't they advertising? And so here's the difference. Here's, here's what happens. In Rule 506C, if you have a, you know, an apartment building in Austin, Texas, and you're trying to raise a couple million dollars of capital, you can have a website, and on the face of that website, visible to every investor in the world, you can show that apartment complex. However, if you're a real estate company that wants to raise money for your deals in general, you can have a website that doesn't have that apartment building on the face, but has pretty pictures of apartment buildings and pretty pictures of, you know, city real estate and so forth. And you can invite people in using that website, but without getting into all the detail, they don't see the actual goods, that is the project you want them to invest in until they have been allowed in the door and sort of frisked. <laughs> so the, the example that I use, it's like you have two jewelry stores and on the face of one jewelry store, you see all the bling, you see the diamond rings and necklaces and golds and it's shimmering and that brings people into the store. The other jewelry store doesn't have any jewelry in the window. It has these beautiful, well-written pieces that say, hey, come inside, we have really nice jewelry inside. So the first of those is a 506C offering, the second is a 506B offering. Um, again, in my view, the advertising is so important. I want the people to see that jewelry in general. But if I don't want to have to comply with Rule 506C, then I rely on the invitation, come inside. We have a lot of cool stuff in here. Does that make sense? Well, I have a question on it. Okay. To clarify. So if somebody, if a company, if my company was only doing 506B, what can we say to somebody to bring them in. And we do Bs and Cs. So, um, you know, it doesn't really apply, but I'm just saying, what if all we did was a B, would we tell people we have investment opportunities for anybody? Yes. Yeah, you, you would say we have really great real estate investment opportunities inside here. We have a very experienced management team. We Obviously, you would have your personal photograph on the page to get you know, the females to come in. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you'd, you'd have lots of marketing words on the outside about how great this is, how experienced we are, but you would not have that diamond necklace. You wouldn't have the actual building, the actual deal with the actual deal terms on the outward facing site. Okay, when would you be able to tell people about the jewelry? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, so what you have to do, and, and, and this is all established under a series of uh, letters from the SEC that are called no action letters. You, you start with the premise that you, you have to establish a relationship 
with your investor before you show them deals. So what does that mean? Well, according to the SEC's no action letters, once you entice the ju potential jewelry buyer into your store, you then have to do some due diligence. You have to ask the person, what is your experience buying jewelry? What is your experience with private investments? Uh, how much money do you have? Can you afford to do this? What are your investment interests? You have to establish a relationship and that means typically some kind of questionnaire and then the magic is you have to have a phone conversation with, with, with the investor. So answer your question, when they come into your door, into your site, you need to find out something about them and uh, then you need to speak with them. You need to speak with the investor and you combine those two things, getting the information and having a person-to-person -person contact. And according to the SEC no action letters, pretty much that establishes the relationship and now you can show them the jewelry. Um, just one other, uh, this example often helps people kind of get the difference between 506B and 506C. If you've ever watched a golf tournament, if you're a golfer, just like to watch, you see the, you know, the typical ad is from a, uh, an investment house. And there's a guy with white hair and uh, he's sitting, has a big smile on his face. His wife is sitting next to him, usually looks not quite as old as he is, but so they're both sitting they're listening to the investment advisor. They're talking about planning for a happy retirement. They show them playing golf or, you know, do sitting on a beach. But notice they don't show any jewelry. They don't talk about any of the deals that that investment house is going to put you into. That's a 506B advertisement. That's exactly what those are. They're inviting you to come into the door, call our office, and then once you're inside, they're going to go through this process to establish the relationship. Very, very interesting. So uh, it is new information to me, and I'm grateful for it. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break. Then we will break down uh, Reg A Tier 1, Reg A Tier 2, and then we'll get into Title Three. So we'll be right back. As you know, the annual Best Ever Conference is coming up on February 22nd and 23rd. And I wanna see you there and I'll be one of the speakers. This is the third annual Best Ever Conference and it's worth it for your business to come. Got a huge discount for you to use. It's hashtag Blue Spruce. Go to besteverconference.com and use my promo code, hashtag Blue Spruce to get 25% off. All right, so like I promised, let's get into Reg A because it is very interesting the difference that you can do with Reg A. And so why don't I let you take that away? What is different from the Regulation D, the two that we spoke about, and Reg A? Both of the things we've spoken about in the world of securities laws, we would refer to as private placements. So again, one of the fundamental concepts in our securities laws is that there are public offerings and then there are private placements and you get different rules that apply to, to each. Um, now, as you 
have noted, I'm sure, a Rule 506C offering. We still refer to it as a private placement, but I just told you we can advertise it anywhere. So these lines are getting blurred. But nevertheless, under the rubric of the securities laws, the cubby holes these things fit into, 506B and 506C are still private placements. Regulation A, on the other hand, is a public offering. It's a special kind of public offering. It's not quite as public as a full-blown public offering of the kind a company like Facebook might do, for example. But it is, it has um, the characteristics of a public offering in the following sense. When we do a 506 offering, B or C, we don't need anybody's consent. We don't need the government to pass off on anything. You could right now, right this instant, suddenly say, Mark, stop talking. I want to talk to our listeners about this great real estate offering. And you could start getting wire transfers and checks in the next five minutes. And that would be perfectly legal because it's a private offering. In a public offering, we have to get the SEC's consent before we start selling shares. That's the primary difference. And the way we go about that is we file this thick book, this disclosure document with the SEC. Um, and that disclosure document goes way beyond the level of disclosure that you would ever see in a Rule 506 offering. Um, you know, we typically do have disclosures in Rule 506, but relative to Regulation A, they are slim disclosures. Uh, that may be a, come as a surprise to some people who think those 506B documents are long and complicated, but Regulation A puts all that to shame. Um, when the SEC reviews these things, okay, contrary to some misperceptions, the SEC is not deciding that this is a good investment. You know, they don't, SEC doesn't have investment bankers working there that say, well, I'm not sure this is a good space to be in. Maybe we should change the price or anything like that. The SEC is just evaluating the quality of the disclosures. Um, are you being clear enough? Are you being thorough enough? And, and that's a complicated process and it it takes time and therefore it takes money so from the perspective of an issuer a real estate developer trying to raise money rule 506 is fast and inexpensive regulation a is not fast and not inexpensive um and so you ask yourself, well, why should we do it? Well, the only reason to use Regulation A, the only reason is because you either want or need to raise money from non-accredited investors. Think about it. I said under Rule 506C, you could raise a trillion dollars just from accredited investors. Well, if you can raise a trillion dollars from accredited investors and it's fast and inexpensive, why would you use Regulation A ever? And the answer is only if there is some reason that you believe uh, you need access to the capital or the participation of non-accredited investors. 
um, you can't really raise more money. I mean, in Regulation A, as you probably already know, you can raise a maximum of $50 million per year. Well, you can raise more than that from accredited investors using Rule 506C. Um, the, the benefit of Regulation A is, uh, I guess I would say, two things. One, I told you before, that under Rule 506C, there's this upper limit, 2,000 investors. And I've never seen a Rule 506C offering get anything close to that. But in a larger offering, you could begin to approach that 2,000 investor limit. And without going into all the securities law details, when you raise money under Regulation A, those shareholders don't count toward the 2,000 limit. So you could have conceivably 30,000 Regulation A investors, um, and uh, they wouldn't count, none of them, toward that 2,000 limit. The other benefit of Regulation A is that the shares are immediately tradable. So as soon as you raise money from an investor in Regulation A, the investor is allowed to go out on a private exchange or in any other way and sell his shares. And that liquidity, the ability to legally sell your shares free of any legal restriction um, is desirable, right? That, that's a good thing, all of the things being equal. That is a better investment, one that is liquid. So those are sort of the... Um, you know, the, the two legal benefits of a Regulation A offering. But again, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't need money from non-accredited investors and you're not going to have more than 2,000 investors, then you wouldn't look at Regulation A. Okay, one question. I've heard that on one of the tiers of Reg A that the max that you could raise is uh, 1,070,000. What what am I thinking? What am I messing up here? You are um, thinking someone is saying about a tier of Regulation A, but you, what you are really hearing about is Title III crowdfunding. Okay, so I said Jobs Act created three flavors of crowdfunding: Title One or Title Two, Title Three, Title Four. Rule five hundred six C is Title Two. Regulation A is Title IV, and then there's this Title III. It seems like a terrific segue to start talking about that if, if, you, if you want to, but just to um, maybe avoid some confusion, Title IV crowdfunding, which is identical to Regulation A, does have itself two pieces. It has Tier One and Tier Two, as you've suggested. It's only of theoretical interest that it does have tier one and tier two because by and large, nobody should ever, ever, ever use tier one. So everyone uses tier two, but it, it does have two tiers just to avoid confusion that way. Both of those tiers are under title four crowdfunding. Title three crowdfunding is an entirely different animal. May I interject? When yes. 
when you mentioned nobody should ever do tier one, I, I know one person who's done tier one and the, their reasoning was that they were only going to use investors in their deals from two states only. Yeah. And they preferred not to have the extra annual um, checkup. What I don't know the term for it, but the annual reports. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so in in that one case they said, well we're we we already know we're only going to do these two s- states. Yeah. And we want to get away from all of the annual reports. And so they did choose tier 1. Do you um do you have concerns for them? Yes, I do. Um and only only this. I mean, I as I say, I've been helping people raise money for like the last 200 years. And I cannot tell you how many times someone has begun an offering saying, all of our investors are going to come from one state. All of our investors are going to come from two states. It never, ever happens. There's always more investors. And um, the cost of the annual reporting is so low. Okay. It's, it, it, it's really low. The ability, so this is what they're giving up. In exchange for not having to do those annual reports, which are very inexpensive, they're giving up the ability to raise money from investors in 48 states, okay? And even if you chose the wealthiest states, we're gonna only raise money in California and New York, okay? You're giving up Florida, you're giving up New Jersey, you're giving up Texas, you're giving up Illinois, you're giving up like trillions of dollars of potential capital because you're not going to have to spend a few thousand dollars a year. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, I would never do that. And then plus what you find is the states where you do register they end up imposing the same requirements on you anyway <laughs> sometimes. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I suppose we could think of examples where it would make sense, but they would be very limited, few and far between. Um, as you know, you're in the business. When you're raising capital, man, you want to you cast your net as wide as possible. Um, and I would never exclude 48 of the 50 American states just to save a few thousand dollars on an annual report. Love it. Thank you so much. Now let's talk more about Title III. Is, and is, this is where you were alluding to the 1,070,000 that I kind of brought up mistakenly? Okay, that is correct. Let's, let's go into this. Okay. So... Title III is super interesting, um, and, and the reason is because of the three titles, Title II, Title III, and Title IV. So Title II crowdfunding, as you and many of your listeners may have already realized, is very similar to what we had before, the old-fashioned private placement, the old-fashioned Rule 506. It's it's very different in the sense that now you can advertise, but the mechanism is very similar to what was there before. Title IV, 
Regulation A actually was there before. The Jobs Act enhanced Regulation A, but Regulation A was there before. It's sort of a small public offering. So both Title II and Title IV are just improved versions of the machines that already existed. Title III is a brand new machine. Never before anything like it has existed under U.S. securities laws. Um, Title III allows an issuer to raise a very small amount of money, $1,070,000 per year, from anybody, accredited or non-accredited, without going through an SEC approval process. So I, I had told you there were the two kinds of offering, public or private. Title III is kind of in between. So we're going to allow the widows and orphans to invest in a transaction, even though the SEC has not approved the disclosures. And this concept that we were going to open small company investments to the whole world um, was so controversial back in 2012, and in some quarters still is, that's why Title III has all these limits. One of the limits is you can only raise a million dollars per year. That's a really low limit, right? Other limits are, um, one, the amount every investor invests is also severely limited. So the widow or orphan can't take his or her entire inheritance and invest it in your real estate deal. Another limit is that Title III crowdfunding can only be done through a licensed entity, what we call funding portals. They have to be licensed by the SEC and FINRA. They're sort of like broker-dealers. They're like small broker-dealers. And fourth, Title III um, crowdfunding can only be done online, only online. You can't even do it through FedEx legally can only be done online and only through a very heavily regulated process where um, you provide stipulated disclosures online, you send certain emails, you provide certain educational materials, this very carefully and heavily regulated environment um, to protect widows and orphans from people like you and me, let's face it. Um, so it's it's a brand new thing. It's an experiment. That That is literally what's going on. It's an experiment. If it's successful, then all those limits will be increased. And if the widows and orphans are not being ripped off by people like you and me, those, you know, the million dollars may go to five million dollars. The per investor limits may double. Um, but it's an experiment in something that has never before been done in the history of U.S. securities laws. All right. So <clears throat> let me ask you a question on Title III. It's a max of 10000 uh, 1070000 And per person, I, I don't know if you covered it, but I think it was a max of ten k a person, but no more than 10% of their net worth. Yeah, it varies. And I, I don't... Uh, I have not memorized the formula, but it it's a it's actually a pretty complicated formula. Just think of it as a a very low limit. 
Okay. Um, and it can only be done by dealers. So my question on that is, may I have my own Title III website and raise money for my own deal? Or does a dealer have to raise it for people's deals like mine? The latter. The, and okay. this is something uh, people call me all the time. I want to set up a funding portal to sell my deals. No, you, you are not. If you own the funding portal, you cannot own the deals. You can't even have a, and you can't even invest in the deals. The funding mm -hmm. portal has to have basically no financial interest in the company raising money. Very good. Um, and then it's online, but regulated. Okay. So the next question that I have is going back up to Reg A, mostly focusing on tier two, because that's the one that you say we should do. Yeah. And it has a max of $50 million a year. Um, my question is, can I advertise Reg A? Yes. I should okay. have said that. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, I should say, any form of advertising is good under Reg A. Now, the content of the advertising is regulated. So, um, you will often see in the private placement world all kinds of claims and projections, you know, investor IRR, 24% projected. You can't do that stuff in the Regulation A world. Um, it is, advertisements are regulated by the SEC, and the general rule is that advertising a Regulation A offering, you have to balance the upside with the downside. So everything positive you say, um, you know, we've been very successful over the last five years. You immediately have to say, however, you know, past performance does not guarantee future results, all that. So you it, much more measured tone in Regulation A advertising. But the kinds of advertising, you can, you can use that airplane that you have left over from Rule 506. Definitely use that for your Regulation A offering also. So on Reg A, you can advertise. The question that I would have is, is this similar to Title III where I am unable to have my own online portal for Reg A? Not at all. In fact, I've done a lot of Reg A deals and I would say every one of those deals has been sold by the issuer at its own website. Okay. All right. So any other advantages to having a uh, Reg A Tier 2 over the Title 3 that you want to discuss? Well, Title 3, this million-dollar limit is so low that in your world, you're the, re the, the real estate world, um, Title 3 is not being used extensively for real estate investments just because the, the dollar amounts are so small. There is one site, which I happen to represent, called Small Change. And they are, I believe, still the world's only Title III portal divided, devoted to real estate. They do 
community development projects and these little tiny environmentally friendly houses, things like that, that don't require an enormous capital commitment. But in general, um, whereas most of crowdfunding is still 90% real estate, Title III crowdfunding is not 90% real estate, just because of the very limited dollars. Okay. And one thing that we don't usually hear on a podcast, and uh, it's okay if it makes you feel uncomfortable, I'm sorry. One thing that I don't think we usually hear on podcasts is what, what do these... Um, what is the investment to do some of these things? So um, can we talk about a range for 506Cs, what it might cost somebody on the lowest end and the highest end? Sure. Okay, well, what do you yeah. say? I, I always tell people, they call me, we've never done a rule 506C, how much is it gonna cost? I tell them to cost $15,000. Okay. For, for everything. And just to give you an idea, regulation A might cost, you know, as much as $75,000. Mm-hmm. So that's, so rule 506C, maybe it takes a few weeks, 15000 Regulation A, maybe it takes five months and 75000 I mean, those are rough numbers, you understand. Yep. But I, I do understand, you know, people want to know at least some rough, some rough parameters. Um, and... Also at my website, I actually have a whole section devoted to Regulation A, which talks about cost, both legal cost, accounting fees, other fees, who should be on the team, the timelines week by week. So we're skimming the surface here, but there's a lot of other stuff there if your listeners are interested. Great. Um, so I have a few more questions just on cost. Reg B, I mean, Reg D, 506B, I know a lot of people make that mistake. I accidentally did it as well. Regulation D, 506B, um, does it cost more money than doing a a 506C because there is um, a requirement for extra disclosures? Only if you have non-accredited investors. So that's that's a great question. So as I said earlier, if you have even one non-accredited investor, in a Rule 506B offering, and you're allowed to have up to 35. If you have even one, then the SEC dictates what information you have to provide. And providing that additional information, I usually tell people it's gonna add about $5,000 to the cost of the deal. Okay, all right, so perhaps a Regulation D 506C um, may cost around 15 and uh, 506B may cost around 20K. And then uh, Reg A tier two may cost around 70 or 75,000. But the the title three also will probably cost around 70,000, right? No. No. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that because as I understood it, the reason that it's not an even million is because the SEC understood that that no, they wanted you no, to have access no. to a million. Okay. No. So let's talk about that. Yeah. The reason it's not a million is because of the inflation adjustment. It started, it started as exactly 1 million, but there's an inflation adjustment. So now it's a million 70. That's, okay. that's all there is to that. The, so what will it cost? The, well, that you, I, you, you know that I answered your questions about 506C and, 
and reggae very quickly. So I'm not, uh, I'm not, not answering this quickly because I don't want to. But Title III, as I said, is a brand new animal. And the idea was that very small companies were now going to have access to large pools of capital. The we as an industry um, haven't quite figured out how to do Title III capital raises well and efficiently both at the same time. These companies are small companies. They don't, you know, some of the companies might only be raising $50,000. And if you tell a company raising $50,000 that it's going to cost $20,000, you know, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of economic sense. And then, of course, on top of it, the funding portal, the broker, the dealer that you, as you referred to it, they're charging a fee too. So, how do we make this economical for issuers? Again, I'm not avoiding answering your question. I'm, I'm getting there. So one way we do it is that a lot of the stuff that an outside lawyer used to do now is done on an automated basis by the portal. So for example, I represent a bunch of portals. For each of my portal clients, I have created these automated templates these disclosure templates to be used by the Title III issuers. So ideally, if I've created my template well enough, maybe, just maybe, the issuer doesn't need a lawyer to complete that disclosure template, doesn't need one at all. Now, it usually doesn't work out that way. So usually a lawyer has to look at it and maybe change it um, in the same way, representing portals, I've created document templates for issuers to use, an operating agreement template, a shareholders agreement template, okay? And if it all works out, then, you know, the funding portal can provide those things to the issuer. They don't need an outside lawyer. But the industry is still acclimating and trying to figure out the best way to handle this. And unfortunately, a lot of the offerings you see in Title III just aren't done very well because the company doesn't have enough money to hire its own lawyer and the portal's documents are really not that good. And so these days, what does it cost? It depends. It depends on how much the lawyer gets involved. Maybe it'll cost a few thousand dollars. Maybe it'll cost $7,500. But there's no, because all the portals are different and the quality of the portals are different, um, the industry just kind of hasn't settled on one best way to do it. And therefore, the costs are very difficult to predict. Interesting. I have one last question, one last uh, topic that I would like to chat about. And that is just having a fund versus uh, like kind of like a blind pool fund, they will call it, uh, versus just raising money for one specific deal. Yes. Um, so let, could you give us a little bit of um, either advice or thoughts or cost differences that you might see when somebody wants to start a fund instead of just having uh, doing this paperwork for one specific deal? 
Yes, I will give you a few thoughts because I've had this conversation and thought about it a lot since the beginning of the crowdfunding industry. So in my world, um, there is almost never anything new under the sun, okay? Everything is just kind of a pattern of what has gone before. And the crowdfunding world is, is no different. Um, we have had markets for the sale of securities for many years. And we know from our existing stock market that most retail investors don't want to pick individual stocks because they're not good at it. They're correct, they're not good at it. So people want to invest in mutual funds. I am certain that the long-term future of real estate crowdfunding will look exactly the same way. Most people, myself included, and I've been representing real estate developers for 100 years, are not able to distinguish among real estate projects, which is the best one. They would much rather have an expert, you maybe, as the fund manager, uh, buying a diversified portfolio. So I completely believe that the future of real estate crowdfunding on the, on, on, at the large scale is in funds. And I believe those funds will be conducted under regulation A because non-accredited retail investors can participate. So that is the big picture, long-term funds. However, the immediate past of real estate investing is that of course, most retail investors don't participate. Real estate investing in the immediate past has always been done by really savvy folks. And really savvy folks think they are better than you at picking out investments. And they want to invest in a particular asset. They do not want you to pick the assets for them. So, Several of my clients <laughs> over the past few years in Regulation A offerings, clients, fantastic experienced real estate developers with fantastic track records have put together funds under Regulation A and say, listen, I'm going to choose the investments for you. I, I'm really, look, my track record, I'm really good at this. Only to find that they're circle of investors, of experienced investors from whom they are used to getting capital, don't want to participate. Those folks are saying, well, maybe, I mean, you, maybe you can attract capital sort of from the uh, solely masses, but for us, you've got to show us individual deals. We're going to invest in the individual deals that we like. So, what I'm pointing out is that although the future is in pools of assets like mutual funds, today, the people who are investing like individual assets. And, and I, I know we're almost out of time. The only other thing I will say is that legally, there's no difference between a fund and a single asset entity. They're the same thing legally. Okay, so two questions. Does a fund cost more than a uh, per asset or is it about the same? About the same. The last question is, um, from everything that we talked about, is a fund a loophole for 506B? 
And the reason I ask that is because you can't say specific assets, but if you had a 506B and you wanted to advertise it, is having a fund because you're not sharing the exact properties, a loophole to allow you to advertise under Reg D 506B? You are a very clever person. That is a very clever question. I'm not sure I'd want to play cards with you. <laughs> but the answer is no. So if in that jewelry store window, you said, this is our fund. We haven't selected the assets. Aha, loophole. But this is the deal. We're going to invest in multifamily properties across the American Southwest. And we're going to give you a 7% preferred return with we get a 30% promote. That's jewelry. That's not just an invitation. So that that is the, yeah, I just said it. That's Excellent. the gold ring. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. Really appreciate it. How does the listener get a hold of you or find you? Just close your eyes and hum and I will appear. No, um, so <laughs> the best way, if anyone should want to do that, you can find me through the blog. I've already given you the, the URL of the blog. You can send me an email. My email is, is at the blog or because numbers are easy to write down, you can always call me on that old-fashioned telephone. And my telephone number for the tens of thousands of people with pen and paper eager to write this down is 856-661-2265. And please tell me that you got my number from this show because I will give you super special attention. Awesome. And just to double check, 856-661-2265. Correct. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Hey, it's Adam Adamson. I'm really grateful to have you as a loyal listener of the show. It is disclaimer time. And there is four things that need to be said. And number one, we're not attorneys or CPAs. So please consult your own professional advisors. Number two, any investment opportunity that is discussed on this show is for accredited investors only. And if you would like to be a part of one, my contact information is in the show notes. Number three, if you love this content, all I ask is that you show us by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and review. And number four, the best ever conference is coming up. It's on February 22nd and 23rd. The price is changing every single week. So don't wait to get your tickets. Go grab them right now. Go to besteverconference.com and then put in the hashtag blue spruce.